When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Blue White Breakdown, Auburn Week. What a week it's been already. I'm Bob Flounders, joined by David Jones. We're going to talk a little bit about James Franklin's Tuesday news conference to kick off Auburn week. They're playing Saturday night at Beaver Stadium, whiteout, 7.30 kick. But we really got to start with one thing, Dave Jones. Uh, You've already written about it. The USC coaching job is open. Clay Helton is out as the coach. And already people are starting to possibly connect James Franklin to that opening, Dave, I know you wrote something on Monday about James Franklin and USC. He was actually asked a little bit about that Tuesday. He shut it down because of the question that was asked and said he's not he's not into distractions. It's game week. But I hope you're doing well. I don't know if you want to talk about your column or what he said today first, but uh, I'll throw it over to you, my man. Well, I've written about this particular job every year for three years because yeah. in, in, in this business, you know, the national writers like uh, Pete Thamel, Pat Forty, Bruce Feldman, uh, Dan, not, not Dan as much as some other guys, but those, those are the big ones. They have a lot of agent sources because part of, a large part of their job is following the coaching searches and the carousel every November and December. And that's part of what they do. They're national reporters. They got a lot of the reason they all piled on Franklin on top of their lists is we all hear the same stuff. And I've got a couple of coaching agent friends and contacts in uh, Southern California and LA. And it's been out there for years that there is a substantial percentage of the trustees chaired by Mark Caruso who's like a, a six billionaire uh, with a yacht. And uh, do you remember, do you remember the, uh, who was, who was the woman on, on full house who you, you remember the, the USC cheating scandal I'm getting in. Getting oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, now you're uh, her daughter was Lori Laughlin. Yeah. Lori Laughlin's daughter was one of the people messed mixed up in this. And she was on she was on Caruso's yacht when that whole thing broke. So this guy's the, the head of the board of trustees at USC. He, he is a big, big cheese. It's just like the Penn State Board of Trustees. They have different opinions, different guys. But I have heard from people in network TV who who are got a lot of USC guys that, you know, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, these guys are in, they're both at Fox, I believe, right? Yes, I think now. 
there there is a lot of buzz around you at anything with USC or UCLA simply because there are a lot of guys in television in media from those schools. The same with Ohio State. I mean, there's Ohio State guys all over broadcast television, and they all have agents, and agents all talk to each other. It's it's fairly common knowledge that there's a substantial portion, not necessarily overwhelming, but enough that are enamored with James Franklin at USC. Now, whether that matters in the end, who knows? Uh, Mike Bone, who's only been DAD for a couple of years at USC, is going to ultimately make that decision. But when you have people like Mark Caruso with the money he has throwing their weight around, their wants and needs get right. And it probably had a lot to do with Clay Helton getting fired, I think, and after in week two of the season. Yeah. Um, that's pretty unusual, but they've done, they've done it before, actually. They did it to Sark. Did it to Sarkeesian week, week two or three. Anyway, there's a reason that buzz is out there. And, and who knows which way it goes, but you can't not write about it simply because he would fit out there. I mean, there are certain people. I wrote the, this morning about Brian Harson and how – so many of the guys in coaching right now, they, they're not that old-style Jimmy Johnson, Bobby Bowden, Barry Switzer, folksy kind of talkers that, that can run the big show. And that's what L.A. loves, man. They love a coach like that. James Franklin is. James Personality, Franklin. he can sell all of it. Yeah, I yeah, got it. Yeah, I mean, he's the, he's the whole show. And when you think about every team – that L.A. has loved. Who do you who are you talking about? The the Lasorda Dodgers of the eighties, the seventies and eighties. Then um, you know the, the Pat Riley Showtime team Lakers. Right. Um, the the Phil Jackson Kobe and Shaq Lakers. These are organizations where it's a it's not just winning. It's a big show, man. It's about being having a big show, and the coach is part of that. USC hasn't had that in quite a while because Clay Helton was an interim hire. Uh, he was he just kind of slid into that job because Sarkeesian uh, had his alcohol problem and they had to, to make a move. And then he stayed there for six years and he's been on the precipice about the last three. Right. I mean, it seemed like he would. It really seemed like he would get fired. Probably all three of those at one point. It really seemed like inevitable, but the contract that Lynn Swan puzzlingly signed him to had a huge buyout. I think it was a $14 million buyout, and they've been beholden to that contract. That slowed him down. They also had a new president from North Carolina and the new AD from Cincinnati who really were just trying to get the lay of the land. They weren't going to make a big, broad brush move right out of the box. So that probably helped save Helton last year. Now he's finally out of there and they're going to make a, everyone in LA and everyone in TV wants them to make a big, big move, like a, a, a big profile move. I mean, a lot of people are talking about NFL hire. Mm-hmm. Who would you hire? Maybe, maybe uh, Peterson, the Eagles old coach, somebody like that. That's what a lot of people at USC want. Franklin might not be big enough for it. Right. But as far as a profile, he's better than like Luke Fickle, who is just like Brian Harson. He's one of these systematic left brain planners. They're, they're, not, they're never going to win the press conference. 
conference. And right. I think at USC, in, in that showbiz atmosphere, you need to both win and win the press conference. That's what they want. So that's that's the whole point of what I wrote about. And that if they decide they want Frank, I mean, he's still got it. He can't fall on his face this year. Penn State can't fall on their faces and lose right. all the big games, or they're not going to want him. So there's that too. But I don't know that you can say that they're going to go after Luke Fickle simply because Mike Bone hired him at UC. I don't think Luke Fickle's the right kind of guy for that job, even though he's at the top of the odds list. I think you probably saw the odds list. or, or did Yeah, you? Uh, the, the lists are already flying around, Dave. Hey, so is it just me or other than Clay Helton beating Penn State in the Rose Bowl? Has he ever done anything? <laughs> yes, he, is, that, is that it? Is that the high watermark? Uh, pretty, well, he had two. He had two Pac-12 titles. I yeah, think didn't they get first, smashed by Ohio State, like in the Sugar Bowl? They, they, but but they 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 he had a modicum of success. Yeah. Then he couldn't recruit last year, and then he'd been recruiting much better this year. The mm. thing the thing about recruiting at USC is, man, it's probably the easiest single place to recruit in the whole country. It's like having a fishing boat and the fish jumping in the yeah. boat for you. Yeah. You don't you don't have to recruit. You you pick and choose all the ones who who grow up wanting to be a Trojan right. in this incredible footprint of recruiting honeypot yeah. that has all these incredible recruits there. Uh, that's what USC football is. And if you don't know about it, I mean UCLA can't even hold a candle to them commonly over the decades as far as that sort of yeah. interest. You you see uh, when UCLA's first game, what did they have like eight thousand fans for for Hawaii? Yeah, and and that's really what separates the the Cadillac programs from the not. Penn State yeah. can get almost a full house for Ball State or anybody else. UCLA has to have a high profile opponent like LSU come in. Um, yeah. If if you're USC and you've got it going and you're winning, that's what they have. They come into the Coliseum, you get sixty, seventy, eighty thousand people every week. So it's a completely different yeah. program there. Plus, everyone wants to pet Traveler. I think we're all in agreement that the horse is fantastic uh, on the field when it comes out. I got a horse that I pet. Kaiser, <laughs> where are you? Hey, uh, Dave, before we get to Penn State and Franklin's press conference, how about a quick shout out to Joe Moorhead, the former Penn State OC, the Oregon program in general for getting it done at Ohio State. You pointed out to me uh, so we were coming back from the press conference on Saturday. I didn't even realize it. They essentially tried to make Oregon play a 9 a.m. game at Columbus because of the time change, thinking maybe they will get them a little nappy and a little sleepy. Instead, it blew up in their faces. I think that might have had something to do with it. I don't know how much Ohio State had to do with that, but I don't think they minded. I don't think they minded. I just don't think that's fair. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying it's not fair to make them play a noon game on the East Coast. I don't. Yeah, I don't. yeah. And, and I think you you come in sleepy and a little uh, groggy, and I'm sure that probably had something to do with it. They looked awake to me. They must have been yeah. ready. Yeah. Uh, Jomo, it was interesting in that game, man. They they kept going right. I texted him actually, and he uh, he texted back. Uh, Sometimes you get the bear and sometimes the bear gets you. Oh, he could have done better than that. After after the game, he's trying to be modest. You know, I just texted him congratulations. But I was like saying everyone is blaming Kerry Combs, the uh, OSU defensive coordinator, for not making adjustments. 
I mean, Joe just went with something that was working, and they kept doing it because their players were not performing. I mean, Zach Harrison, I thought, was awful in that game. And he's like a first-team All-Big Ten defensive end. Their edge was mushy the whole game, and they just plowed right over the top of it. The guys, their outside linebackers were diving inside and, and leaving nobody there. So was Harrison. I didn't think Jomo particularly out-schemed uh, Kerry Combs. It was just that their players didn't look disciplined or ready or, or any of it. It was yeah. amazing. So oh, the, tech, the takeaway is that Ohio State looks very beatable on defense. They got serious problems. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was always fascinating to watch the Buckeyes struggle with all the legions of talent they have that either they're not really into the game or – for whatever reason, because they certainly are recruiting well. So that that definitely uh, that ranks as one of the more surprising results, I think. Speak, speaking of recruiting well, you know, part of a big advantage that Ohio State has had over Penn State is Brian Hartline against yep. the revolving door of wideout coach, coaches at Penn State. Taylor Stubblefields, this is the first time they've had the same guy back-to-back years in, what, five years uh, yeah. since Josh Gaddis left for Alabama. Yeah. Uh, Hartline's been there the whole time, and he's been cleaning up. Uh, one of the guys he got was Julian Fleming. They, they've got him stacked like cordwood, the wideouts, that, yeah. that number 11. He's the third guy. Right. And Fleming can barely see the field. Yeah. Could it be that Fleming could come back here? I mean, with the I, I don't know if I'm Penn State. A, is he as good as he was advertised, number one, and B, uh, you didn't want us a couple of years ago. Oh, you're one of those guys. Yeah, I might be a little vindictive if I was Penn State. Come on. I, I Coaches wouldn't be, are never vindictive. Well, they're not vindictive if they know the guys can play. If yeah, they're not I mean. sure the guys can play, I think I might be I might be vindictive. Dave, let's spin it forward here. Oh, um, you'd be a you'd be a whore just like the rest of them. Um, if you were a coach, you'd have to be. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Let's spin it forward on the Blue White Breakdown podcast. We're going to analyze the matchup and pick the games a little bit later in the week. So let's just talk a little bit about Tuesday, Franklin. He didn't really, he was pretty buttoned up too today when you, if, if you listen to him. He was asked a lot though. Let's talk about this. He was asked a couple different times about the offense through two games, how there was improvement. Against Ball State, they were balanced. They were able to run the ball. That's something you talked about you wanted to see. Here's my question, Dave. So Ball State was not the most athletic team Penn State was going to see. There's very sound team defending Mac champs. They were missing their best defensive player, Brandon Martin. How much of it was Penn State making progress, did you think, and how much of it was they simply were too athletic for Ball State? You can't even judge because – any MAC program, and this was the defending MAC yeah. champion. I mean, you, you look out at the field and you're going, oh my God, 
You know, yeah. it's, it's just a whole different level. And one of the things in Phil Steele that you look at when you get the magazine is how the leagues are rated. And back in the old days, the Mac. There it is, been, the magazine. Yeah, back in the old days, the Mac would have been about sixth or seventh. Now, yeah. now it's last yeah. of the ten of the ten major conferences at the back. And that's kind of the way it looked, man. I mean, they for every Toledo that can really compete with with Notre Dame, there are a lot of in Miami with Minnesota. There are a lot of Eastern Michigans, man, <laughs> that just get plowed by Wisconsin. And Chris Creighton has run a really good, tough little program there. At a, and that is Mars, man. Eastern Michigan is the end of I the, think Eric Epler, who who everyone knows. From Chris, Chris Creighton is a, a, a really good coach. You might have, might have, should have gotten out of there while you could have. because he Eric Epler went to Eastern Michigan. How putting, dare you? Putting together six and six seasons and competing with major conference teams. But, I mean, Wisconsin was pissed yeah. off. And they just plowed them. I mean, it was, I think it was 25 first downs to three. And Eastern yeah. Michigan got two of those in the last minute of the game. It's just not competitive. And that's the kind of thing you usually get. So I don't know what you can take from it from, from Ball State. Yeah, they looked better. Auburn looked better against Alabama State than they will in the SEC, too. I mean, yeah. that, well, that, that quality of opponent just is not, yeah. you can't take anything away from it. One thing, though, I think we can judge the offense on is Mike Yersich's. Now they, now Kurt Shiraka did not have on-field practices in 2020 spring. Mike Yersich was able to have a spring practice for his installation. Dave, we can talk though about the creativity, the diversity, the different looks, the tempo, all of that stuff. They're just getting started with all of it, but we saw some stuff in the Ball State game that I just think it's going to be a tough team to defend. I mean, we saw, it sounds like little things, Dave, but there's advantages when you go under center. There's advantages when you go fast. There's advantages to a two-back set. There's advantages to have three tight ends you trust to either throw the ball to or to block. And Penn State is now doing all of this and really... It's for the first time since James has been here. Even Joe Moorhead, who we talked about for the Oregon upset, he did some creative things, but they weren't really an up-tempo offense. This is, this is back. we're going to play fast. If we get a first down, we're going. Bill O'Brien was able to do it. It definitely taxes the defense. This is a defense that's much, I think it's the most diverse Penn State offense through two games that I've seen in my 20 years covering the team. If you can make a defense think at the snap, if yeah. they're still trying to recognize and think at the snap, you've got a leg up. And yeah. there's two ways to that coaches approach, different coaches approach a game like this in week two or three. You can button everything up and not show anything for videotape. Yeah. That opponent, someone like Auburn. I don't know that that was really an option this year because they had Wisconsin right out of the box. Right. I don't think Mike Yersich is the kind of guy who would do that anyway. The other option is to show the opponent so much stuff that their head is spinning. What do you prepare for? What do you key on? You've got different keys and different formations, different guys in motion. So, so much stuff that you don't know. You, you look at all this video and even the coaches might be a little confused. What, what are our keys and what do we tell them? They end up playing vanilla and just trying to react. 
those are the two options. And I think Yersich has taken the second one. And um, we'll see how it develops. But right. I think that's that's what the, the philosophy is. Yeah. And I, and I also think after the Wisconsin game, to have to play at Wisconsin in week one, when Penn State traditionally is their non-conference schedule is, hey, let's take a couple games to get comfortable, get ready. We'll play a lot of guys. When you go to Wisconsin out of the box, that's that's you know either it's either Iowa or Wisconsin. It's going to be the the best defenses they're going to have seen in the regular season. That's a t- that's a tough opener. I think I think they did the right thing, Dave, because they just had a lot. They had to work on their execution. They had to get some momentum. They had to get some confidence going. They clearly needed a better. They needed to get the running game some confidence in those guys. We talked about it. I think in the video after the game. One of the biggest takeaways for me is Kevon Lee, getting him confidence with those four plays in a row early in the third quarter. It just can't be Noah Kane. You know, Kevon Lee is a horse, and I don't think he realizes how good he can be yet, but I think he's getting there. And I just thought there were a lot of good signs that came out of the ball staking. Yes, they're not as athletic or as big as Auburn, but I, I do think, I think it was kind of mission accomplished if you're the Penn State offense coming out of that game. Yeah, well, I'll I'll say I think Auburn's going to certainly be right there with Iowa. Yeah. As the best defense they face this mm-hmm. year. Our buddy Jay Tate. You remember Jay JG Tate from down I, in uh Yeah. From your first year on the beat in 02 when we went down and played uh Capital uh, Capital 1 Bowl against 13 to uh, 9. Yes, yes, that was the uh Jason Campbell game with uh Cadillac Williams and uh Ronnie yep. Smith, right? It was Jason Campbell, Ronnie Brown, and Cadillac Williams. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Jay has been down there. He's been doing Auburn for over 20 years, and he believes this is the best defense he's seen. Yeah. That's saying something, dude. Yeah. I mean, I know this has been a program that for an SEC program, it's concentrated mainly on uh, mad professor offense, considering the coaches they've had. But still. Yeah. That's saying a lot. And any SEC team, when you do that, or you, when you can say that, that's that's something. So I think they're really good in the linebacker layer, and they've got really aggressive, active linebackers. If you can get those guys thinking, I think that is the push-pull for Yursich. But it's going to be incumbent on Sean Clifford to make quick decisions and certainly not hold on to the ball against these guys. because. Right. The bad things will happen. Uh, yeah. He will lose the ball like he did against Maryland, and then you've got big trouble. As Hank Stram said in the Super Bowl form <laughs> film, we can't make mistakes in this game. <laughs> Super Bowl four. Super Bowl four. Yeah, Super Bowl yes. four. Yeah, yeah. Three to seven, I think it was. Yeah. Um, okay, we got a couple minutes left, Dave. Uh, one other thing I wanted to get to. The line we talked about, but we always talk about the line after Penn State games. I didn't look. Was I right or were you right? It is holding. It opened. It's still at the same number. It's six. The total is holding fast at 53. One thing I wanted to ask you just about real quick is James talked about they can't really watch any tape of this team because they they played a couple of patsies. And also they have a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. So he's they like, uh, they don't know. They don't know whether to watch Boise, yeah. Boise State tape or yeah. Auburn tape. I mean, they Vanderbilt played Akron. Tape. 
They yeah. played Akron and Alabama State. That's the bottom of the barrel in FBS. Uh, you don't know what it, what to take from that. Like I said, I interrupted. Go to your point. What, what were you going to say anyway? No, uh, James just talked about the challenges of preparing for this team. But and I know they have new schemes. If I'm Penn State and I'm Brent Pry, I'm just watching a lot of Tank Bigsby tape, and that that freshman behind him is obviously gifted as well. We'll talk about the matchups. If I'm preparing for Auburn, you talked about their athleticism on defense. I think that's something that you can kind of be aware of, but also not overstating it to say that it's probably not going to be Bo Nix that beats them if they lose. They're going to have to corral those two talented runners, especially Bigsby. He's barely played in the first two games, and he was the SEC freshman of the year last year. They didn't have a lot going for him. I think on offense last year, but he was really good. Yeah, big time recruit down there. And Bo Nix has been, frankly, a frustration. Son of a former Auburn quarterback who I'm so old that I covered his dad in the 95 <laughs> Citrus Bowl against Penn State. 43 to Wally, 6 game. And Wally Richardson. Yeah. 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 Was it 95? I think it was 95. Yeah. He has been kind of a frustration for Auburn fans. I think that's fair. And probably not similar to Sean Clifford. I mean, he's been a functional quarterback, but hasn't made any great strides. I think that's, a, that's accurate. Plus, their wideouts have been erratic. That is one advantage that Penn State has. Penn State's wideouts have caught the ball, and yeah. their secondary has been ball hawking and jumping routes and very aggressive. If the game has changed the way we think it has, then this game should not and cannot be played in a phone booth from Penn State's standpoint. Yeah. It should be played. They have advantages with their, their wideouts. They have advantages, I think, with their secondary. Use them. You have, to, you have to get this game wide open. The problem is you can't have pressure on your quarterback because – as Clifford, we've seen from Clifford, when he, he gets the pressure, too seldom does he get rid of the ball. And I know that's a problem you've had with him yourself. Well, it's, it's either he holds on to the ball too long or he throws it up for grabs. Like, it's happened both. It's a little bit of both. I just, I, I just think that Mike Yersis and James have been working with him. Hey, look, here's your primary read. If it's not there, right, if you don't see it right away, go to your second read. If it's not there, throw the ball away. And I just don't, I think that Sean, I think one of his strengths is he is a very competitive kid. And I think he's willing to take the hit or he's waiting too long. And I think sometimes that just is a detriment when you face a good defense. I just think he doesn't like to throw the ball away. And sometimes I think that's a win when you throw it away. Yeah, I I think Trace McSorley learned that. I think... Matt McGloin learned that over time. They originally didn't want to either, but McSorley was quick and elusive enough to get out of a lot of jams. Clifford is not. Um, McGloin wasn't either, and McGloin learned. His, he was much better at that his senior year, you remember, under O'Brien yeah. than he had been previously. I think O'Brien just ter- scared Matt McGloin. <laughs> scared him into throwing the ball away because he didn't want to face the consequences. If Tom Brady was in danger of getting beaten up by Bill O'Brien. <laughs> I have to think Matt McGloin was in trouble. Put, put, the fear of, put the fear of God in him. Yeah, yeah. He was like a, a hard uh, – he coached you hard, Bob. Can you be <laughs> coached hard? Yeah. 
One more thing before we go, and, and guys, we'll have our prediction, and we're going to look at the matchup a little bit later in the week on the Blue White Breakdown podcast. I, I just want to talk about it now because I, I don't want to forget. You and I have witnessed some truly awesome whiteout games at Penn State, but the standard still remains, Dave, the 2000, 2005 Ohio State-Penn yeah, State game yeah. for the game itself, the viciousness of it, the loudness of the crowd, and the impact that the crowd had on that game against the really good Ohio State team. I'm anxious to see what it'll look like on Saturday. I'm sure it'll be crazy, but man, that is a game that I don't know that I'll ever, ever forget. I don't think you will either. And you thought the Nebraska game in 02 yeah. was like that. You remember how that was pre-whiteout. Then Guido Delia got involved with the music and Zombie Nation and all that. And you had the renaissance of the, the, the four losing seasons out yeah. of five. And they had beaten the crap out of Minnesota a little bit surprisingly a week or two before. Who was ranked by 30 points, 44 yeah. 14. Smashed him physically. And physically, it was, it was just reaching a peak. That was a crescendo that I don't know if you can reproduce, but this game has something kind of like it in that fans are back. And this is the first big game. Yeah. This is the first non con big game since, my God, what would you even compare this to? Alabama in 10? Uh, 2011. That, that we went down there in 2010. Yeah, it was that okay, game. It was actually, yeah. like in the yeah. afternoon, but it was still a whiteout. It was weird. I think they lost 27 to 11 or something. Right. As far as just a a big non conference game, I think that's the last one of this caliber. Yeah. Uh, the 2016 Penn State upset over Ohio State was crazy, but the quality. I, I just thought the quality of the athletes on the field in the 05 game with Pazluzny. Dan Connor, Tom Bahali, Michael Robinson. I mean, and Ohio State, you look at the players that were drafted off of that team. Ted, was, Ted Ginn. And it's and just so nasty of a game, yeah. And there's the seminal play of that, and I think Joe Hermit got a great shot of it, was Tom Bahali yeah. planting Troy Smith and him somersaulting like Charlie Brown. That, the place just came on glute. It was comparable to the 16 game and Grant yeah. Haley's uh, scoop and score on the block field. Sure. Yeah. Um, those are probably the two loudest moments I've ever heard in that stadium. Yeah. And the, the 2005 game, I thought the stadium was going to collapse. I didn't feel that way in 2016 when it started shaking. Remember the shaking in the 05 game? Yeah. The and the, the, there was an interception early on, uh, number 10. What's his name? Can't think of his name. Uh, Calvin St. Lowry. Calvin Lowry's interception. That was the first big moment. And he, he ran it back to the two. Is that right? Yeah. And Michael Robinson. Derek, Derek Williams scored a touchdown, and I think Michael yeah. Michael might have scored one, yeah. Right, right. I remember you saying after the game, it was a different time, man. It's trestle ball at Ohio <laughs> State. I mean, it's trestle against Paterno. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Those games don't happen anymore. That's, that's never going to happen again. And you said after the game, I think they could have played eight quarters and Ohio State wouldn't have scored on yeah. them. Yeah. That, and that was probably true at that point. The defense that, was nasty. That that doesn't happen anymore. You needed yeah. a, a conservative uh, offensive coach in Trestle, and you it was a different era. You know, it's a long time ago. Those things don't happen anymore. It's 16 years later. Um, you can't recreate history, but I think 
the 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 level the level of drinking will probably be I think comparable. I don't think they're gonna I don't you you should not go to the stadium if you're not gonna drink it if you're an adult if you're not gonna drink at least thirty one beers don't even bother going into the stadium you're not gonna be loud enough and you're not gonna be crazy enough so that's a high bar that I'm gonna set I think we're we're, we're gonna have about seventy five degrees is what it looks like with maybe some showers so maybe the maybe the temperature will be about the same I don't know plus or ironically. Ironically, we, there's a chance we could see a 17 to 10 game. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've already seen one this year. What, I know. So, if, if we were going to see another 16 10 game, this this would be it. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I know you are, Dave. We'll be back later in the week to actually give our picks. Maybe give you guys some players and some uh, keys to the game, things to look for. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing this Auburn running back. I think everything I've seen from him. Uh, on film or tape and also just some of his numbers really impressive I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that and we'll be back guys uh, a little bit later in the week this is Penn Lies blue white breakdown podcast about Penn State football he's Dave Jones I'm Bob Flounders we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days welcome to Cure Leaf, a medical marijuana dispensary whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant CureLeaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at CureLeaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours.